We are in the middle of a sermon series this fall on stewardship, stewardship of the mind, stewardship of the pocketbook. Today, stewardship of time. And so here are two scripture passages about time. First, Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And a scripture passage about time from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a sermon on the stewardship of time starts with a riddle. Which time of day is both too early and too late? 4 a.m. Jason Reeves says that at 4 a.m. the mothers are sleeping, the joggers are sleeping, the morning people are sleeping, and the night owls are pretty much already asleep. Reeves, by the way, claims to be the world's expert on 4 a.m., which is a little bit bizarre, but he's probably right. He has curated the 4 in the Morning Museum, kid you not. So, unless your daily routine is a particularly intense kind of daily routine, most people only see 4 a.m. if they're up way too late or way too early. A knock at the door at 4 a.m., terrified. Frozen pizza in the oven at 4 a.m., you probably have someone under the age of 30 living in your household. If you see 4 a.m. on the regular, you have an intense commute or a new baby or a new puppy or an overactive bladder or you work on the trading floor. Time has a feeling to it. 4 a.m. feels like 4 a.m. Minnesota poet Lewis Jenkins muses about time and God in the same way. He says, the god of 3 a.m. is the god of the dripping faucet, the sirens, the barking dogs. Noon holds something vastly different from dark midnight hours, and then there is sunrise and sunset and lunchtime and dinnertime and snack time and Christmas time and summertime. You can take yourself there to the feeling each of those different times creates. And time asks us questions as well. Like, 
Is our time our own? Do we have freedom to use our time as we'd like? Does our freedom of time come with responsibility or a sense of duty? Who does your time belong to? Your boss? Your children? Your spouse? Your parents? Is your time driven by the dollar? Do you understand time as infinite or scarce or abundant? What is time for us? This centuries-old passage from the book of Ecclesiastes holds a vast egalitarian outlook on time. There's time for everything under heaven. It is a song, a scripture passage, a philosophical understanding that is balanced and reasonable and level-headed. It's realistic. It doesn't deny all the impossibilities about life when life is hard, but it's also not sensationalist. It's the kind of passage that can help you hold on to all the joyful things in life, even in a time of sorrow. And by contrast, it's the kind of passage that can help you acknowledge sorrow, even in a time of joy. It is a passage that opens up a doorway, a threshold, between every diametrically opposed human experience and emotion and allows us safe passage in between. Life is not all war or all peace. There's a time for each. We cannot remain at peace at all times because sometimes our sense of justice, the justice to which God calls us, is under threat, and so we're called as Christians to take a stand. And yet, we cannot remain at war all the time, for as the prophet insists, let us study war no more. Our God of Ecclesiastes opens up a threshold, a doorway between every diametrically opposed human experience and emotion and gives us safe passage between. Here's how it happens. This is a story that maybe you've heard before. In November of 1914, German and British soldiers started writing home about safe passage toward peace in a time of war. The two lines of trenches, as you know, during World War I were just a few miles apart, and November brought with it heavy rains and ice and slush and snow. But just there, in the midst of the winter weather, at the threshold of war and death and mourning and burials, there was the breakfast truce. On the whole, there is silence at breakfast time, one British soldier writes. After all, if you prevent your enemy from drawing his rations, the remedy is similar. He will prevent you from drawing yours. No one knows exactly how this started, but little by little, one mile of trench after another, the soldiers on either side of the trench stopped fighting long enough each day to eat breakfast. For years, this story was thought to be a myth, surely an impossibility to have war cease during breakfast. But historians now have enough of these letters written home to know that really, this spread up and down the Western Front until December when, and this is the part of the story that most people know, at dusk on Christmas Eve, Germans brought out lit Christmas trees to the front of their trenches and began singing Christmas carols. One German soldier wrote home about that Christmas Eve saying, 
I shouted out to our enemies that we didn't wish to shoot. Can we speak to each other? At first, there was silence. And then we came together and shook hands. Our God of Ecclesiastes opens up a threshold, a doorway between war and peace, and allows us safe passage between. And it happens all the time. Laughter at a funeral, silence in the midst of a poignant speech, and that phrase, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, could easily be the mantra of the Me Too movement Ecclesiastes speaks to us today. These dichotomous pairs offer us hope in hopeless times, perspective when all seems dark, and humility enough to hold all that it means to be human in this world. These sets of words, they offer us a glimpse into the stewardship of time. Recent scholarship on the book of Ecclesiastes offers us a way toward understanding why we might resonate with these days today in particular. Biblical scholar Ellen Davis from Duke University at the Duke Divinity School in North Carolina says that this peculiar mix of gravity and merriment seen throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is not just the author's temperament, but instead is a way of thinking that emerged from within the cultural context of Hellenism of Greek influence at the time. And the book of Ecclesiastes, she says, should be read as a response to the anxiety that was the dominant mood of the culture. Anxiety because of shifting international powers, anxiety because of religious clashes, anxiety because of new regular contact between East and West, anxiety because customs and cultures newly intermingled. Sound familiar? Davis goes on to say that the book of Ecclesiastes somehow holds on to this anxiety and from within it, the author feels anxiety's full toll on the human spirit. And so we hold on to the book of Ecclesiastes as Christians and, as, and our brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith hold on to it as well because it is a book that dares to look at radical doubt from the inside, speaking to those of us whom no ordinary assurances could satisfy. And it's been like this throughout the centuries. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said that we should, quote, read this noble little book every day. And a student recently who suffers from recurring depression says that Ecclesiastes is like slipping into a warm bath. It's a comfortable way of looking at the, li at the lives that we lead. Ecclesi Ecclesiastes offers us a useful glimpse into the stewardship of time because it holds all that is anxious about life and death. It holds our doubt, and it preserves what is sacred throughout. A stewardship of time, as seen through the lens of Ecclesiastes, asks us to stand between the opposing forces of life the tensions and the impossibilities, and dwell in the sincerity of these words. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. A stewardship of time has to do with holding on to dueling paradoxical ideas, past and future, now and always and never and eternity. But a stewardship of time is more tangible than that, too. I grew up knowing my great 
grandmother, my mother's grandmother, we would go to her tiny two-bedroom, 900-square-foot house in Hillsboro, Indiana, population 600, maybe, if there were visitors in town. You know, you know this town. We would drink well water out of pink aluminum cups and watch birds out her picture windows looking out toward the barn. She was born in 1898, two years before the turn of the century, and something about that threshold of the century made me know at an early age that she was from another era. And I always felt as if sitting next to her, shoulder to shoulder on that yellow couch, connected me beyond her to men and women decades gone who had sat alongside her when she was young. Her life connected me to men and women born before the Civil War. And those saints of life, uh, those saints of light, became as close to me as she was in that small living room. Even now, she connects me to them somehow. She died when I was 12, but she still carries me across the threshold of time into a thousand other lifetimes. The same is true, I think, holding your own child or grandchild or great-grandchild. They will live on into a future that is beyond you, God willing, and one day they will meet their own grandchildren, their own great-grandchildren. Across generations, we carry one another into pasts and futures, known and unknown. So a stewardship of time draws us near to all that is tangible about holding every moment sacred. A stewardship of time means noticing and taking in and sitting next to and being present with each other. It means putting down the phone and turning off the TV and being together. A stewardship of time demands we pay attention now because now is all we have. And that even when this now becomes a distant memory, a colorful fragment of what was, we know and recognize every now as sacred. Finally, for Christians, a stewardship of time is also rooted in the incarnation. For us, this happens naturally and almost accidentally. In the Christian tradition, in ways seen and almost invisible, we have a tradition of rooting all time in Jesus Christ. And maybe this is not a surprise. Every stewardship theme that we will encounter this fall can be rooted in Jesus Christ. That's what we do as Christians. We root our lives in Jesus and John did it first, the gospel writer, unlike Matthew and Luke, whose gospels began with mangers and shepherds and wise men and genealogies. John takes a time-centered approach to telling the story of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In other words, this one Jesus that you will meet in the flesh has been with us and with God since the beginning of time. All time is made sacred because since before time was even created, Jesus Christ was, and so we can trust that Jesus Christ is and will be present for us now and forever from now. 
All time is made holy by John's reframing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's a second aspect to this as well. We live in the year 2019 because we have rooted all time in Jesus Christ. 2019 years ago, or approximately so, Jesus was born. The Christian calendar, by happenstances of ecclesial and colonial power, became the world's calendar, and it rooted itself in the Incarnation. In the same way, Muslims use an Islamic calendar that roots all time in the Muslim community's ancient journey from Mecca to Medina, and the Buddhist calendar dates from the day Buddha attained enlightenment. We count time in such a way that our most monumental events shift time for us. And we, we do this in personal little ways as well. Do you count time that way? Before and after the birth or death of a loved one, before or after selling your home or moving to another state or country, before or after the new job, before or after meeting your spouse, before or after the diagnosis that changed everything. We count time in such a way that our most monumental events shift time for us. And so every time we look at a calendar and say it is the year 2019, we shift ourselves again into God's presence with us in Jesus Christ. The ancient Christians who moved time and eternity to shift our calendars to say 2019 instead of some other number were trying to send us a message, all of this is a gift from God. Steward your time, for it is of God. Time is holy. Time is rooted in tangible things, life and death and resurrection made visible here today. Time, it seems, though, has this ability to feel a little ethereal, untouchable, like sand slipping fast through fingers. So as if to punctuate the intangibility of time, we take time every week, every month, every year to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into this very moment, into the now, by reenacting the Last Supper in which Jesus gathered around the table with his disciples and he took the bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them. And he said to them, do this remembering me. The Last Supper is a memorial meal, a meal that remains in the past as a memory, only until that moment when we reenact it again. And there, here, in our time, Jesus, who from the beginning has transcended time, can cross the threshold of past and future and enter into our eternal now, in which we know and trust and are fed by his love that transforms us. So it is for us on this World Communion Sunday when we are united beyond time and beyond place at a common table, a table meant for all. This table today unites us beyond all difference and holds us in a tangible, embodied, eternal now of celebration in which the simplicity of bread and cup allow us to enter into the presence of Jesus Christ, who is our yesterday, today, and tomorrow, transforming us by his love.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.